Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Spangler, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. This week's message is just a little bit different, and for you to get the full scope of it, it's going to require you to do some work. So in the first half of this message, myself and Pastor Drew actually reenacted a first-person interview with Joseph as he foretold the events of Genesis 39 through 41. Now, instead of replaying that interview in audio format, I want to encourage you to read that text today and then come back and listen to the application portion of today's message. So allow this to be a challenge to you, not only to listen to the word taught, but to immerse yourself into the written word for yourself. I pray that you find this encouraging, challenging, and equipping, all for the glory of God. Thank you again for listening, and may God continue to transform you to be more like Jesus. So this really is just a, a creative way to share with you the whole of Genesis chapter 39 through 41. Everything there, if you haven't read, I hope you could follow along at least piece by piece the major themes as we walk through that. If you, if you haven't read those chapters, I want to encourage you to do that. But to pause and think about for a minute what the significance of Joseph's role in the narrative of the whole and what God is doing. And the, the main idea, we talked last week about the kind of this sub-series being what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And yet, do you ever feel like sometimes life is similar to what you see Joseph experience? It's like you get, you, you, you're down and then you, you kind of work your way back up and then poof, you're down again and you work your way... There's a lot of life that can feel that way. And as you stop and you think about that, you and I's tendency in the midst of those seasons is to do anything but remain devoted to the Lord. Because in our minds, we consider that, well, I've been devoted to the Lord and look what's happening to me. And we assume that the only evidence of God's working in and through us is when things are going well for us. And do we believe that God can work no matter what the individual circumstances that we go through are? On a whim, we'd probably say yes. But we really have to stop and consider what does how we respond in the midst of those say about what we really believe in. It really is a challenge for us to pause and go, okay, I feel like I'm sitting in the dungeon right now, not knowing when I'm going to get out or what will come of this. In that moment, where is your faith? Is it in your ability to somehow work your way out of the situation? Or is it in the truth that God may be using this season of my life for something 
that impacts people far outside of just me. It's one of the greatest dangers if we become narcissistic in our faith. If we become a people who say that my relationship with the Lord is only about Jesus and me, we have set a course in a very dangerous direction. It's one of the reasons that we encourage community together. Is because it's not about Jesus and me, it's about Jesus' relationship with His church. It's about the us. Which means that we realize, and we're gonna, what we're gonna celebrate here in a minute is the recognition that we are united together only through Christ. Which means, if I believe that we're united in Christ and there is freedom in Christ, then anything and everything can happen to me and be taken away from me, but I know that my hope is secure. Do we have that hope? I pray we do. But I'll be honest, there's days that I struggle with that. It'd be a lot easier if the measure of how God was working were if things were going well in my life. It would then seem like, okay, things aren't going well. I just need to up my prayer life and my time in the Word and I need to be at church more. And Oh, look, things get better. That's what we call legalism. The alternative to that is faith, which says my eyes are going to remain fixed on the one who doesn't change even when my circumstances do. Joseph, as an example of this, it says the Lord was with him and brought about success. Now, another piece of this that we don't get in Genesis is the timeline between all of this, we really don't have a full concept of how many years Joseph was in Potiphar's house and how many years Joseph was in prison. But I tell you, you and I, man, if things don't go well for a week, we go, where is God? Sometimes it's a day, isn't it? My day is ruined. All my plans went out the window today. And we go, where is God? And it just reveals an utter impatience in our life where we assume that God is a genie that we set on the shelf that ushers in our beck and call. Where we forget that we are made in the image of God. He is not made in the image of us. And so in the narrative of Joseph today, I want you to see, and I hope you heard, even in this summary first person narrative, the challenge to be devoted to the Lord. Now, I want you to turn with me in parallel to this to Colossians 3. As we think about application of this. Colossians chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. It says, if then 
You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, this verse makes a statement that's important. If then you have been raised with Christ. What is that if-then statement? At the heart, it's the question, is your faith in Christ? And some may ask, what does that mean? Faith in Christ means that I believe that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. Faith in Christ means that I recognize I am a sinner separated from God. And Christ paid the price for my sin, which was death. So that through Him... I could have life eternal with God the Father. That's what it means. I'm dead in my sin, and yet in Christ am raised to new life. That's why we celebrate baptism. If then you have been raised with Christ, then there's an exhortation. Seek the things that are, what? Above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Not on the things that are on earth. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. And realistically, okay, we we don't know about the days that he struggled. We don't see that recorded. Sometimes that might be helpful. But we don't have that. But I want you to stop and think for a minute. If you're enduring what Joseph endured, how would you respond? Would you set your mind on things above or would it be an earthly focus? It might be easy to set your mind on the things above whenever you're overseeing households and you're in good shape, you're being taken care of, things are going well. What about in prison? What about after the cupbearer forgets to share that you're here in prison for something you didn't do? What then? In verse 5 following, it goes through and gives us exhortation to put to death these things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the count of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. It's past tense, right? It's a past thing. If I'm in Christ, these aren't things that I'm going to walk in any longer. That I strive not to. We see an example of Joseph living above reproach. It's one of the greatest examples of fleeing temptation and literally running from sin. And I'm just picturing, are we, this is a great question to ask, are we willing to run from sin so much so that we would rather streak through Egypt? Seriously! It didn't care. He just ran. 
Because he knew no other way to escape that moment in time. And he would not. It says in there he recognized it would be a sin against God to fall into that. So he ran. Significant application there. How do we put ourselves in positions where we run from temptation and sin? May we faithfully do that. Because the moments are going to come when no one else is around and you have a choice to make. And 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that there is an assurance of victory if we choose the way of escape. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. What does that mean? It means that you can't look at someone and go, no one else has been tempted like I've been tempted. Wrong. The Bible says that's not true. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when you are tempted, He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it or to stand up under it. It's always there. But you have to make the choice to run from it. Joseph did. And ended up in prison for it. Are you willing to flee sin and temptation even if it means that you're wrongly imprisoned? Where are your eyes fixed? If you jump over to verse 12, or it might be down in your Bibles, there's another exhortation here that I want us to Recognize, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. This is to the church. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your heart to who? To God. How can I be thankful to the Lord in the midst of the darkness? For the church, it's the hope of Christ. For Joseph, it was a recognition that God is faithful. God is the one who will interpret dreams. God is the one who meant good in the midst of what man thought are meant for evil. And we see him articulate that all the way at the end of Genesis. When he looks back at everything, that's where he says in Genesis 50, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Are we marked by thankfulness because we recognize what Christ has done? Or are we marked by discontentment? Because things just aren't the way I want them to be. 
Verse 17. Is the first verse that came to mind when I looked at Joseph's life and I went, how do we model this well? Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed. Have you ever been in a situation where you know what Scripture says and you encounter a situation and you know how you should respond and yet, I just can't. Whether it's your kids are driving you nuts or your coworkers. Or your spouse, or your extended family. You fill in the blank. We are not lacking for the temptation to go our own way. And all you gotta do is get on social media to see we're not lacking in people who are prone to do that. Okay? It's everywhere. I would say the normal response to trial and challenge in people's lives is Frustration and anger, not peace and devotion. What would it look like if we as the church simply devoted ourselves to the Lord? What would it look like if we took on the persona of Joseph in Genesis 39 through 41? Where we go, you throw me in prison, I'm going to flee from sin. You can sell me into slavery. I'm going to serve the Lord. You can bring me before the highest leader in the world who thinks that I'm the one who's going to solve the problems and I'm going to give God the glory. What would it look like if we embodied that as the church? So I want to challenge you with a couple of things. And then we're going to shift over to communion. First off, some of you here today have been through horrible seasons and you've quit. Or you're listening to this and you've been through horrible seasons and you've quit. You've given up on faith, at least partially. You may still check a box to reassure yourself or others that you still believe. But deep down you struggle because why would... A God who works things for good. Let me go through such bad. Some of you here today are in the middle of an intense trial. And as a result are being faced with such temptation to resent God and take matters into your own hands. You daily wrestle with whether to really trust God or to walk away from that and try your own hand. Some of you here today are on the other side of an intense season and you have the gift of reassurance seeing today where God has brought you. A place that he knew all along. Three things I want you to remember about who God is regardless of which category you fall into. Number one, he does not change. God is the same 
in your highest of highs and your lowest of lows. He does not change. Turn to your neighbor and say, He does not change. Sometimes you need to remind each other of this, church family. Second thing you need to remember about who God is. He does not fail. He does not fail. No matter how much you may feel like He has failed, the only thing that He probably is perceived as failing at is meeting your expectations. And I'm going to tell you it's a really good thing that God doesn't operate based on your expectations. Third thing that I want you to remember about who God is. He is present with you in the struggle. We see that in Genesis 39 through 41 where it says multiple times God was with him. God brought His work to success. Regardless of whether or not you feel like God is present in the struggle, He is there. Now, if you are apart from Christ, and you are living in sin, don't expect to sense the presence of God if you are living in the very thing that separates us from Him. And too often, we paint this picture. God is love. He accepts me for who I am. And we live in sin. And then we wonder, why don't I feel the presence of God? Because you are living in the very thing that has separated you from Him from the beginning. But for the one who's wrestling, and you know truth, and you have faith that Christ is the only way, He is ever-present In the struggle. So what do I do in the midst of the struggle? What are lessons we can learn from Joseph? Number one, devote yourself fully to the Lord. In everything you do, in word and deed, devote yourself to the Lord. Secondly, resist temptation. And that's part of being devoted to the Lord. Resist temptation. Flee sin. Picture Joseph running out of what he's wearing because he's going to flee sin. I'm going to escape. Thirdly, this one's hard. Make plans that line up with what God has already purposed. Make plans that line up with what God has already purposed. What do I mean by that? God has revealed what He is doing in His Word. He's even given you a heads up as to what's coming in His Word. We should make plans in our life according to His purposes. Some people look at the story of Joseph and they go, 
How does this line up when they're making plans for seven years down the road? And yet Jesus said in Matthew six, don't worry about tomorrow. James said in his letter, don't be someone who says tomorrow I'm going to go to such and such place to do business because your life is but a mist here today and gone tomorrow. How do I reconcile this? Because God purposed and revealed his purposes to do this very thing in this moment of Scripture in Genesis. I'm going to tell you, Scripture has made clear what God is purposing to do in this day. First Peter says, God's not slow, as some count slowness, but he's patient, desiring that all would reach repentance. Are we calling people to a place of repentance? Are we sharing the hope of Christ? Are we faithful to do that? Make plans that align with that purpose. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, greedy for unselfish game, kids disobedient to their parents. He describes all these things. And then people come to me and they go, oh man, can you believe the state of the world we're in? And I go, yes. I can. Because Paul told Timothy, this is what was going to happen. Don't be someone who is surprised when the world dives further into wickedness. Because if we know what God has purposed and what He's revealed in His Word, we're going to go, I'm not surprised. And I am prepared if I am in Christ. If I am not in Christ, I am not prepared. If we as the church are devoted to Christ, we are good. They could take away everything, family. I don't care because our purpose is not this place. Our purpose is not the things we own. It is the one who does not change. Make plans that align with his purposes, what he has purposed to do, because it's best. And the very last thing is what Colossians 3 verse 1 says, set your mind On the things above. Not the things on earth. One of the most successful ways that we can guard ourselves. Against the fleshly temptations that we face. Is to daily, consistently fix our eyes on the things above. And you may go, what does that look like? Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes On Jesus. Seek to be like Christ. So as we consider. The impact. Of Joseph's faithfulness. In Genesis. I want you to leave here. Asking the question. What might God be using me for. That I don't see right now. In the season I'm in, what is God purposing to do? And how am I going to be faithful? Because that's all I have control over. God is faithful. His purposes are best. Amen? I'm going to ask the guys to come forward who are going to help serve communion.
and uh, <clears throat> we're just going to take a minute. You guys can come down front here. And as we approach this time, I want to I want to caution you in doing something. Too often, we make this time once again about me and and Jesus. And yet, there's a biblical call to understand. That when we take communion together, it's a reminder that this is the only means by which we are united as one body. That means my faith is about us and our relationship to the Father. Not just about me and Jesus. This becomes the motivation for why we need to call people into accountability. And why when we see a brother walking in sin, we, we go to them, we say, Brother, no, because you are part of me. Because we are united in Christ. We have a responsibility to see that we are one. And it's really easy to become discouraged and go, Ah, there's all this contention in the church. And yet, I am a contributor of that. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, when we come to communion, it's meant to be a reminder that this is the only means by which we're united. Not the physical elements, but Christ whom they represent. His body crucified and His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. So I'm going to pray... We're going to serve these. And I want you to consider your relationship with the Lord, yes. But I also want you to consider your relationship with the body. Because as we take this together, we are saying before everyone else that I agree that we are in relationship with one another united in Christ. And that has implications. Now, because of that, and understanding it is only those who are united in Christ who are united, if you're here today and you go, I don't know where I stand before God, I have not walked in faith, then I'm going to encourage you not to participate in this. If you aren't sure you understand why we do this, I'm going to encourage you not to participate in this. You're not going to be condemned because you don't participate in communion. Someone may have told you that at some point in your life, but it's not biblical. However, Paul does warn that a person who takes this wrongly may be in danger. So to use this time to reflect and pause and consider what the implications of this are in my own life but more broadly in the life of the church. Heavenly Father, as we come to this table, may we do so with our eyes fixed on You, as Colossians 3 says. Lord, may You open our eyes to see the impact this has as the body of Christ. Not just me and You. Father, may we 
May you make us into a people united by the gospel, the good news that there is salvation in Christ. And may you grow us to be a people who simply walk in faithfulness to your commands. Not for our own glory, but for yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus.